You're listening to KCBS In-Depth. Everyone is facing these huge, life-changing moments. The people, places, and issues the Bay Area is talking about. I think it really is important for folks to reach out to people so they can know that they're not alone. We don't know how long all this is going to go on for. And from an emotional standpoint, psychologically, that's a really difficult, difficult thing to grapple with. This is KCBS In-Depth. Face masks, they don't just catch COVID, they also catch plenty of controversy. At least they have over the last few months, but what does the science have to tell us about them? And how much protection they could actually bring to this pandemic? I'm Keith Benconi, this is KCBS In-Depth, and today in the program, we are going to dig into the latest and greatest mask science with a local health expert. That would be Dr. Kuchika Kapali, a Bay Area infectious disease physician who is also a biosecurity fellow with the Johns Hopkins Center for Health Security. Dr. Kupali, thank you for joining KCBS In-Depth. Hi, thanks for having me. So every day, it seems like we are learning a little bit more about this disease, and it honestly seems a little bit strange here, uh, more than four months in at this point, to even be talking about masks, because we've been talking about masks this whole time, so it almost feels like, what is there left to say? But it does feel like we learn so much on any given day that you can kind of just return to these topics again and again, because every time you return, you're going to find something a little bit different. So I suppose uh, what I would want to start the conversation with is uh, just in the broadest of terms, what are the most important things that you think the public should know about uh, masking at this point in the pandemic, just based on what we've learned so far? So I think the most important thing the public needs to understand is that we know now that wearing a mask for everybody uh, will help prevent further spread of this pandemic. Um, Initially, during the pandemic, wearing a mask was recommended only for people who had symptoms of disease. And what we learned as we learned more information about the virus was that we learned that you can transmit the virus when you don't have symptoms. And as we moved into a situation where we recognized that there was widespread community transmission of the disease and also understood that you could spread the disease when you didn't have symptoms, Uh, the change in recommendations for wearing a mask occurred. And that's why now we recommend everybody wears a mask. It's because we have to assume that everybody in the community is infected. And so uh, when it comes to wearing masks, we recommend that everyone wears a mask that covers their nose and their mouth and provides a nice seal over the bridge of their nose and also on the sides of their mouth Um, It at least lays flat so you don't get any of those uh, droplets going uh, inside your mask and potentially uh, infecting you through your mouth. And I I think that that's actually a really important point that uh, you raised a second ago, that there was actually a learning curve that went into the public health officials sort of about face on the mask recommendation, because I, I think a lot of people look at the early months of the pandemic and they look at, you know, one second there was uh, a recommendation not to wear a mask. And then the next second there was a recommendation to wear a mask. And a lot of folks, I think, took away from that, that health officials made that decision purely based on the the just the, the, the shortage of masks. But there it actually, as you just suggested, reflects the fact that we understood a little bit more about the disease and more about the potential for asymptomatic transmission. Yes, I think that's a really important point. Um, People uh, hopefully will understand that 
uh, with this being a new virus, what we call a novel virus, that science is not going to remain the same. It's going to continue to change as we learn more about the virus. And if we think back to the early days of this virus, we did not know that we could transmit this virus um, from patients who are asymptomatic. That is something now we know. And so because we know we can't look at people and know if they are infected, and again, like I mentioned, we don't know if people who um, are infected are around us, we have to just assume that everybody has it, especially when we have such wide rates of transmission in the community. And so with that new knowledge that we gained as the days and weeks went on, that was the reason for the change in the recommendation from public health officials. We've always, always recommended that people who are sick, who are symptomatic, we always recommended that those people wear masks. In fact, we wanted those people to stay at home so even if they went out and they were wearing masks that they could not risk infecting people. But it's with the change in the information of the science of what we learned that the change in the recommendation for who should wear masks came about. Speaking once again to Dr. Kuchika Kupali, Bay Area Infectious Disease Physician, about the science of masking and what we've learned so far. And to fill in that picture, I think that it would be really good to start with probably the, the, the most basic question that informs basically everything is our understanding of how this virus is spreading. And the longer things go on, the longer this pandemic goes on, the more complicated that picture is looking because it's seeming like it's not just surface to person transmission. It's not just person to person transmission. It's a it's a little bit of everything. Right. So, uh, you know, still the largest driver of transmission is going to be person-to-person transmission, and it's going to be symptomatic person-to-person transmission. However, um, we do know that asymptomatic transmission is happening, Um, and so again, we need to do everything we can to try and prevent transmission of this virus. We need to try and stop the chains of transmission. Uh, Data has shown that for every positive case that is out there that will generate at least 10 to 25 contacts. And so if we can't break these chains of transmission, we will never get this outbreak under control. And so the way we can help break these chains of transmission is by doing um, these non-pharmaceutical interventions that we've talked about for the last few months, maintaining physical distance, using good hand hygiene, and yes, wearing masks. Um, These three things, if used together, really could help contain the outbreak for our society. So in terms of the utility of the mask, it's it's primarily a way to prevent uh, yourself from infecting other people. How much do we know at this point about the ways that a mask protects you? Can should, should, should we think of this as a personal protector or do we not really know too much about that yet? Well, I think that there are still... Um, a lot of studies being done about masks. Again, I want to drive home that the reason we're recommending everybody wear masks is that we need to think about this as a community-wide intervention. We need to think about this as the fact that we have to assume that everybody is infected. You cannot tell by looking at somebody that they are infected or not. And so that is why we need to have everybody wearing masks right now.
When we look to the evidence, because there are a lot of doubters out there that masks are really going to make much of a difference in the overall uh, public health push that we are trying to achieve here. When when we look to the evidence, what evidence is coming in at this point that masks are really helping? So there have been a couple of studies that have shown um, that uh, people who are um, wearing masks, it can be helpful. Um, I think one really good example is that there's a um, there are cases in Missouri where some hairdressers had COVID. They were wearing masks, and because of them wearing their masks, um, the people that they were in contact with did not end up getting COVID nineteen. Um, there are some other studies that are being done looking at the effectiveness, in particular, of masks in relation to COVID nineteen. Um, I want to say that, you know, we have been using masks for a very long time with a number of other respiratory viral illnesses. We use it in influenza. We use it um, for um, other things like the common cold. We've been using them for years, right? And so we use them to prevent um, for the spread of those types of infections as well. Um, let's get to the uh, practical aspects of this when folks are thinking about how they are going to make a mask a part of their day. I mean, there's a, a number of key decisions that they have to make. There's the, the type of mask, there's the type of material, and then there's even how they are going to keep that mask from getting dirty throughout the day. Because if you're putting a dirty piece of cloth on your face, that uh, that's not really going to do much good for you. So uh, let's, I suppose, start with mask type. Uh, cloth masks... Um, uh, the surgical masks, um, what do we know about which ones are the best way to go? Or, or does it seem like they're all pretty similar at this point? So for people out in the public, um, cloth face coverings can be made from household items like two layers of cotton fabric, t-shirt, bandanas, or uh, even your bed sheets. Uh, there was a study that came out of Florida Atlantic University that did show that when they compared you know, the bandana type of uh, face mask versus a cone type shape of face mask versus uh, a cotton fabric face mask that had two layers. Uh, really, it looked like the best type of uh, face mask was one that was a cotton fabric mask that had two layers. And um, so the thicker type of material was a little bit better at preventing onward transmission of droplets. Um, however, the most important thing to think about is with a face mask is that you want it to fit well and again, cover the nose and the mask, um, but you don't want it so tight that it is going to restrict your ability to breathe. Um, and as you alluded to, it is hard to wear one of these all day long. Um, and also one of the biggest challenges with wearing a face mask is uh, because people aren't used to wearing them, uh, they oftentimes will touch them uh, without making sure that they have clean hands. So it's really important that when you're going to wear one of these, that you always make sure to uh, wash your hands with soap and water or use alcohol-based hand sanitizer before touching them because you don't want to uh, infect your face mask um, because then you could potentially infect yourself. When using a cloth face mask also, it is important to make sure to keep it clean because you, want, you don't want to um, infect yourself with other things. So you want to wash them routinely with soap and water or laundry detergent to prevent contamination. I guess let's uh, stay on the the cleaning issue for just one second. So some of the guidelines that I've seen online are saying that washing it in uh, a wash basin with, I mean, if you don't want to 
run up the whole uh, washing machine every single time you come home. Uh, would a wash basin with some warm water and some detergent, would that be a good substitute? Yeah, that would be fine. Um, and then you could just air dry it. Um, the key is, is that you just want to make sure they're clean. You don't want to be wearing a face mask for, you know, seven days, two weeks, a month, right? Without making sure it's been cleaned. You want to make sure that it's, um, it's clean. We have other bacteria and viruses in our mouth. And so if we are wearing our cloth face mask as we are supposed to be appropriately, uh, we want to make sure that we're cleaning it. So, um, you know, just think of it like your sock. You want to change it every day. You want to change your face mask every day. I want to remind listeners real quick that they are listening to KCBS In-Depth, our weekly deep dive into the events and trends shaping life in the Bay Area and beyond. I'm Keith Manconi, speaking once again to Dr. Kruchika Kupali, uh, a Bay Area infectious disease physician and also a biosecurity fellow with the Johns Hopkins Center for Health Security. We are getting the do's and don'ts of this new mask lifestyle we are all trying to master at the moment. So let's uh, dig into a couple more of those questions. Now, we've been mostly talking about cloth masks so far, and they are becoming a lot more plentiful in the supermarket. Uh, Again, I mean, I I imagine that there probably just isn't that much good science to go on at the moment, but would it be fair to assume that a thicker mask would be safer than a thinner mask? Uh, But, uh, you know, obviously taking into account what you said a moment ago that you still want to be able to breathe. Sure. Uh, I think a lot of that data is still being looked at. We're entering a new era, a new world of... um, non-pharmaceutical interventions, that's what we call these masks. And so there's a lot of data that we need to still understand. Uh, For example, as you mentioned, the type of mask that we recommend using. Uh, I think also trying to understand uh, what are the best types of disinfection methods. Uh, Those are all information that will be forthcoming. Um, We still are only seven months into this pandemic. And so there are a lot of questions that we still have ourselves as scientists that we are still trying to learn. so I think we're hopefully in the next months, um, we'll get more information about what types of masks are best, what types of cleaning methods are best, how often we um, optimally should be changing them, um, all those things. Hopefully we'll get more information. The, so here's the mask method that I have been using, and I guess I should, it, it sounds like it's probably not up to snuff, and so uh, maybe I should uh, just face reality, but let me just run it by you to see if it uh, passes muster. So. What I've tended to be doing is, you know, I've got to go out of my car and back into my car several times throughout the day. So whenever I get in my car, I hang my uh, mask up on one of the little rings in my car and then I drive around. And then when I get to the next spot, uh, I put the mask back on, doing my best not to touch the mask itself as I go. And uh, then when I get home at the end of the day, uh, to be honest, I I hang the mask up and uh, leave it there for a couple of days and uh, a few days later, I'll, I'll use it again. I mean, I, I guess the, the theory that I'm working on is that it's not that the COVID-19 virus doesn't really last all that long on any surfaces. So if you leave it there long enough, maybe it's dying off. Uh, how, how wrong am I to be operating this way? Well, so first off, what kind of mask are you using? Are you using a cloth face mask or are you using a disposable cloth face mask? Actually, uh, I'm using a cloth mask. My uh, mom was nice enough to sew me a couple, so I'm using these uh, nice, thick, homemade masks that uh, she made. Okay, well, okay, that's good. So, um, a couple things. So, first off, I definitely would not hang it out in your car. I think the best method you want to make sure to keep your mask as clean as possible is um, when you get in your car, 
if your mask, you know, before you put your mask on, I'm going to keep hammering this point home, is make sure your hands are clean. Uh, when you put it on, only touch the ear loop pieces and put it on. Uh, make sure to cover your nose and your mouth, right? And then really try your hardest not to touch it. And then uh, when you get into your car and you take it off, make sure to wash your hands before you take it off. And then what I would do is actually have like a brown bag or something and put it in there to keep it clean and safe. I have a designated um, bag to put it in. So put it in there, and then when you get to wherever your next destination is, make sure to clean your hands off again because your car, um, your steering wheel, whatever other objects in your car that you might touch, like your radio, those are high-touch surfaces, and uh, I don't imagine you're cleaning them down all the time. Uh, there's risk of bacteria and viruses on those objects. So clean your hands off again, and then reach back into that brown bag and touch the face mask by its ear loops and put it back on again before getting out of your car. So that's what I would do when you're out and about. And then when you're at home, again, I would not be uh, reusing these masks um, after multiple days. I would, you know, wear it for one day and then uh, just put it off to be washed because we're not just worried about COVID-19, right? We're worried about other bacteria and viruses. So we have a lot of different bacteria in our mouths. And if you're wearing that mask properly, the bacteria are going to um, get on the face mask as well. Yeah, no, okay, that that all makes sense. I mean, I kind of felt like it really wasn't the best way to approach things, but it's there's there's just so many things to uh, deal with in this new COVID world. You know, every, every other little precaution you do adds uh, a little bit of complexity to your day, I suppose. Uh, as a physician, you know that better than anybody with all the, uh, I'm sure, safety procedures that you need to take in your, your clinical work. Um, just, a, just a few minutes left, but I, I'm curious for your thoughts on how you think about that extra imposition and, and how you make it work in, you know, in a practical sense in your daily life. Sure. Um, you know, I do think that I, in some ways, have the benefit of the fact that this is something that I've been training and doing for a number of years. And so, some of it becomes part of my own muscle memory, uh, but it, it's definitely not easy. Uh, I think that I worked on the Ebola outbreak in 2014 in West Africa, where I had to learn to become extremely mindful of everything that I touched and everything that I did. And I had become very um, uh, purposeful about every motion that I made and uh, washing my hands. and. Again, when you start doing that all the time, it becomes part of your muscle memory. And um, I think over time, as people start uh, adopting some of these practices, they too will become part of their own muscle memory to the point that it'll start to feel like um, almost strange to be going out without wearing a mask. Uh, that being said, I think that uh, the most important thing is trying to be um develop these small habits that are uh, important yet impactful into your life um, and also trying to um, be mindful. I think those are the best pieces of advice that I can give people because it is overwhelming, but it's also going to take time for you to be able to incorporate them into your life. 
Now, before we turned these microphones on, you were telling me that the masking issue has the heat that it causes has really even washed up into your own life. You're getting a little bit of hate mail over the masking issue. Yeah, so I've definitely felt the heat over masks. Um, I've had people who found my email and send me messages, people who have sent messages over social media and uh, direct messages that way. Uh, and I understand that, you know, people have very strong feelings about this, but I also wish that people could see that all of us who work in medicine and in public health and uh, this aspect of the response, um, all the uh, recommendations we're making are for the overall good of the public and the global community. None of us want this to be going on. None of us want this to go on any longer than it needs to. We really just want to do everything we can to try and help uh, to end this pandemic because we're seeing all the horrible and negative repercussions of this outbreak. So just given the uh, the tenseness of this current situation and your own personal experiences with it, what then do you take to heart as somebody who's going out into the world and trying to communicate on this topic? How, how has that knowledge of the, the tenseness of the situation informed how you approach this? I think that, you know, one of the things that I always try and remember is that, you know, for a lot of the times, the people that are sending those negative messages or targeting me or my colleagues, uh, there's probably going to be another 1,000 or 2,000 that appreciate all the work we're doing. And I try to remember that because that's really important. And I've gotten a lot of really wonderful messages from people who appreciate the work that we're doing and the education that we're doing. And so I try to hold on to that. And I also try to hold on to the fact that there is a large portion of the population that just has not been appropriately communicated to or gotten the appropriate messaging. And that's part of the reason I do things like these podcasts and I do interviews and I try to put myself out there. And I think it's a very important thing that those of us who work in this field do at this time, because part of the science is how we communicate it and the communication and the education and the community engagement are all critical to the work that we're doing. And so we have to make sure to try to find ways to disseminate the information appropriately for the public. And I try to think about all that and the work that I do and hold on to the fact that maybe something I say, something I do is going to resonate with somebody and make a positive impact. Uh, just a, a couple of minutes left, but I really want to do just a very quick lightning round, see how many uh, of the... Uh, smaller questions that folks might have about masks, we can tick through very quickly. Let's start with uh, face shields. I know that uh, folks have uh, questions about the the clear face shields that can go down in front of your face. Um, are should those be considered a substitute for masks or uh, just something that adds to the protection of masks? Yeah, so I think that's a really good question, and uh, there are people that are doing work on that, and in parts of the country, uh, they're being used quite a bit, and. I think, again, it depends on the type of face shield you're using. With a face shield, you want one that's going to come down below the chin, and you want one that's going to go around to both ears. And uh, I think face shields offer some wonderful protection. Uh, they are not as uncomfortable as wearing cloth face mask. And um, another really great benefit of a face shield is that you're not covering up your nose and your mouth with a uh, Cloth, so you can still see people's facial expressions and their um, uh, 
their mouth moves. So if it's hard for you to uh, hear, um, you can still make out some of the uh, words that they're saying by reading their mouth. Um, and also because they are a bit more comfortable, people aren't touching them all the time. So I think that um, we're still figuring out um, how they can be used well in the public, but I definitely think that there's a very good path for them. All right. Uh, just a couple more questions to tick through. Um, are folks wearing a mask? Uh, do they no longer need to socially distance? He asked very leadingly. That is incorrect. I would recommend that if you're wearing a mask, you still need to physically distance. Again, um, we need to do uptake all these uh, non-pharmaceutical interventions. Uh, it would be wearing a mask, physically distancing, and maintaining good hand hygiene. And N95 masks are obviously very difficult to get your hands on at uh, this point, but uh, if, if you can get an N95 mask, is that going to add extra protection to the average citizen? No, an N95 mask is not going to help the average citizen. Um, you know, a couple of things about N95 masks. Number one, for them to be uh, providing appropriate protection, you actually have to go through a special type of testing uh, for the N95 to make sure it is a appropriate for you. It's called fit testing. Um, and then number two, even in the hospitals, we're only using them for uh, healthcare workers that are involved with what we call aerosolizing uh, procedures. So things like intubating, or if they're doing a procedure to sample fluid from a patient's lungs, we're not using them for everyone. These are very difficult to come by um, resources. And I would highly recommend that if you're lucky enough to have them at your disposal, that you um, consider donating them to your nearest hospital or healthcare facility. Mm. All right. Two more very quick questions. Still important to wear masks outdoors. I mean, it's it's known that the extra airflow and the extra sunlight uh, perhaps adds some protection. So masks still needed when you're outside? I think it depends the context of what you're in. I think if you're by yourself and you're going for a walk, then... Uh, and you're not around anybody else, sure, I think it's fine to not necessarily wear a mask. But I think if you're with other people, even if you're going for a walk or something, I would definitely wear a mask. When I go for walks with um, friends or family members, I always make sure to wear a mask. And finally, there is a concern, I would say, mostly spreading through social media and very various other unconfirmed sources that uh, masks reduce the blood oxygen and increases the carbon dioxide in your in your body. Is is there anything that that's based on? Is there any science to that whatsoever? No, that's absolutely false. That is a myth. Listen, we have um, surgeons who work in the operating room for 12, 14 hours at a time, sometimes longer doing surgery. They wear masks. They don't have decreases in their blood oxygen levels. We have, um, that would be the best piece of evidence I can give you right there. But no, if you're wearing a mask, um, it should not be decreasing your blood oxygen level. Um, there's no data to support that. All right. Well, definitely good to check that one off. Glad that we uh, made it through that long list and also glad that we have the latest and greatest science on this very important tool that I think a lot of us should be making a bigger part of our day. I'm certainly going to change a little bit of my daily routine based on this conversation. So I thank you very much for the insight that you've provided. We have been speaking to Dr. Kruchika Kupali, who one last time is a Bay Area infectious disease physician and also a biosecurity fellow with the Johns Hopkins Center for Health Security. Dr. Kupali, thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for having me. And thank you all for listening. For KCBS and In-Depth, I'm Keith Benconi. We'll see you next time. 
You've been listening to KCBS In-Depth. Get every episode by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and other podcast platforms. Visit kcbsradio.com for more news and interviews. We are the Bay Area's news station, KCBS.